This week on Blue 58, the Packers are active in free agency, giving Aaron Rodgers new weapons and bringing a familiar face back in the secondary. We'll break down each and every signing and departure. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. I am John Muirdink, your host, joined today by co-host Gary Zillaby. How are we doing, Gary? It's a great day to be great, John. It is a great day, and we're departing a little bit from what we've done over the past few weeks. We've sort of broken up the podcast into a couple different sections. We've been working through every game of the 2016 season as we fill out some of our offseason right now. But this week, we're going to go with something a little bit different. We're in the midst of free agency. The Packers, whether they like it or not, have been involved on both sides of free agency, both bringing players in and unfortunately seeing a few of them go out the door. So we're going to go through everything the Packers have done in free agency so far, kind of take a breath and see where we go from here. We touched on a couple of these signings and departures a little bit last week in episode 21, which came out Friday into Saturday. So now we're just going to go through all of the signings, all of the people who have left, and kind of take a moment and reflect as we go into kind of the second wave of the offseason. So let's jump right in with the biggest signing. After this one, we'll kind of try to go in chronological order. But the big one, tight end Martellus Bennett joining the Packers. He was a second round pick in 2008, has been a top tight end pretty much ever since then and was the top tight end in free agency. Caught 55 passes for 701 yards and seven touchdowns last season with the New England Patriots. He's also lined up for the Chicago Bears, the New York Giants, and the Dallas Cowboys, the team that drafted him originally. Uh, Martellus Bennett, essentially your prototypical big tight end, uh, the kind of tight end that's favored by head coach Mike McCarthy. He talks about those big people running down the middle of the field. That is Martellus Bennett. He is six feet, seven inches tall, weighs between 250 and 275 pounds, depending on uh, who you ask. Pretty fast, too. Ran a respectable 4.68 in the 40-yard dash in the combine. Tight ends almost always considered to be a red zone threat. Martellus Bennett, actually the real deal. 23 of his 30 career touchdowns have come in the red zone, including 16 from within nine yards of the goal line. So Gary, with a couple days now to digest this, how do you feel about the signing? Do you love it even more? I do love it even more, John. I think that Martellus Bennett is the most unique target that Aaron Rodgers has had with the Packers. And as I've, I've had a couple days to think about this more, it reminds me of 10 years ago when Randy Moss was rumored to go to Green Bay. Now, Thompson came extremely close to trading for Moss, and eventually the Patriots offered more. It seems like Thompson has now learned and has offered big money to a target that can change the Packers uh, on offense. However, Bennett is a pretty curious character, much like Randy Moss. He's played on four teams since 2008, and he makes some headlines with his words. And John, something that I haven't seen talked about in the aftermath of the Bennett signing is this timeline of his, I don't want to call them transgressions, but maybe weird events associated with Martellus Bennett. So quickly, I'll just run through uh, the seven or so that, that have, are probably the high points of his career. So as a rookie in 2008, He's on the Dallas Cowboys, and the Cowboys are featured on HBO's Hard Knocks. And if you're familiar with that show, they typically target a few players and focus on their career and what's going on. Bennett was portrayed as a lazy and unmotivated player, seen having trouble learning the offense, 
but in later episodes they showed him working harder to improve but not a great start in Bennett's career then in January 2009 Bennett records an explicit rap song that he posts on YouTube and he's fined by Dallas in the NFL for $22,000 a couple years go by Bennett leaves the Dallas Cowboys and in the 2012 offseason signs a deal with the Giants and reports say that his weight balloons to 295 pounds. That's about 50 pounds lighter than what he was reported to weigh with the New England Patriots and Bennett disputes this claim. In the 2014 training camp, he's now with the Chicago Bears. Martellus Bennett body slams Chicago's first round pick cornerback Kyle Fuller and is suspended by Chicago for five days. A pretty fun YouTube video if you're up for some Googling. In the 2015 offseason, Bennett skips the voluntary portions of Coach John Fox's first offseason program because he wants to redo his contract. He returns only when he would have been fined. Then in... Oh, go ahead. And I was going to say that, I think, among these things is among the more defensible things. Nobody likes the offseason workouts and... It's not unusual to see players stay away until relatively recently for the Packers. It was not uncommon to see most of the, not most of the teams, but a, a few significant veterans stay away from the offseason workouts just because they preferred to do things on their own. The Packers have really turned that around, but Bennett within his rights there. So Gary, continue, please. Yeah, and it, it's funny how it's voluntary, but it's not really voluntary, right? Right. So in November 2015, Bennett's still with the Chicago Bears, and after a loss to the Minnesota Vikings, questions his role in Adam Gase's offense. In the Vikings' loss, he had three catches for 32 yards, and what's interesting is at that point, Bennett had been targeted 58 times, the third most in the NFL, as a tight end. Well, things came to a head for Bennett in Chicago as he sits out the Bears' Thanksgiving night win against the Packers. That's a rainy game at Lambeau Field where they retired Brett Favre's number. He later said that he did not watch the victory on television. Uh, He's soon placed on injured reserve and is shipped to the New England Patriots in the offseason. And not only does he kind of shape up there, he actually does pretty well. We went over his stats a little bit earlier, but things haven't gotten less strange for Martellus Bennett. Well, he hasn't had so many like head-to-head run-ins with coaching staffs or or things like that, but you dug up this list from Peter King and we'll just skim through this, but these are things that Bennett has said or done since he joined the New England Patriots. He said he wanted to be paid in gold. I mean, who doesn't, who who hasn't had that thought? I would love to be paid in gold. My pile of gold would be much smaller than Martellus Bennett's. Uh, he compared being on a winning team to losing his virginity, which is, I, I, you just, we'll move past that one. Uh, Bennett raised his fist during the national anthem, which is something that was going on throughout the the league last year, uh, kind of started by Colin Kaepernick. That was Bennett's particular interpretation of that movement. He said he channeled Luke Cage, a Marvel superhero, in forcing himself to play through an injury. He tweeted at NASA and got himself invited to a tour of their facility, and he gave Johnny Manziel a ticket to the AFC Championship. What a move there. So, I think we can agree that there are going to be some headlines of some kind from Martellus Bennett at some point in the future, and they're not going to be just for what he's doing on the football field. He's not the only tight end joining the Packers so far in free agency. Tight end Lance Kendricks comes aboard last week. 
in short, Kendricks to me is what Andrew Corliss was supposed to be. Not a number one tight end, but he's not a disaster as a blocker and he's a pretty athletic receiver. Uh, in his past five seasons, he's caught about 65% of the passes targeted towards him. In comparison to a couple other names you might recognize, Martellus Bennett has caught about 69% of the balls thrown his way. Richard Rodgers, 67%. Kendrick's up there with 65 and Jared Cook all the way down at 56%. Gary, the Packers are pretty interested in tight ends this offseason, a position group that Mike McCarthy loves. Do you think they're done, or do you think they're going to look for another prospect in the draft? John, they're done. Maybe an undrafted free agent or two comes the Packers' way, but as far as tight end, I would imagine the trio of Bennett, Kendricks, and Richard Rodgers will head into the regular season on the Packers roster. If they do draft another tight end, it's pretty clear that Richard Rodgers is on pretty thin ice. He is, and he's... He is a limited player. Um, I hate to use the expression he is what he is, but it's accurate because we we know exactly what he is as a player. He's not somebody who's going to contribute on special teams because he's just not that fast. Never going to get a lot of yards after the catch. Uh, he seems like a smart player, and he's not going to drop a lot of passes that you throw his way. Um, he, he's he's a, a decent tight end, but decent is, is not good enough for what the Packers need from their tight ends in their offseason, or in their offense, that is. Moving along, TJ Lang is now a member of the Detroit Lions, signs with them for, I guess the the key number from his contract is $19 million guaranteed. Lang has been a mainstay on the Packers' offensive line for quite some time now, more or less the the stereotypical offensive lineman. Big guy, tough guy, uh, a little bit gruff, kind of that enforcer. Uh, he does turn 30 this September and has dealt with injuries throughout his career. In fact, early on, if you remember, in his very first, uh, one of his first seasons, he was in a position battle with uh, Brian Bulaga for being the top backup at left tackle. And Lang was forced out of that competition due to a, an unusual wrist injury that required surgery. And he was subsequently switched to guard and really never looked back. But Gary, my question to you, why should we not be sad that Lang is leaving? (laughs) Never not not be sad. I think there's three real reasons. His age, his position, and his contract. So his age, pretty straightforward. He's going to be 30. Eventually, Father Time's going to take what's his. He broke his foot twice last season, and he had hip surgery before 2016. Second, his position... John, if you could choose to have elite talent at two of your five offensive line positions, you're going to choose left and right tackle 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, I'd say 10 out of 10 times. Maybe center. I mean, maybe center would be next after those two. And that's what the Packers have as far as left and right tackles. They have a couple of elite ones in Bakhtiari and Balaga. And uh, unfortunately, if you're a fan of Lang, the Packers decided not to pay three offensive linemen elite money which brings us to his third point the contract so his age his position and finally his contract Lang's well respected and now he's paid as one of the league's premier guards John as you mentioned he's getting 19 million guaranteed over three years from the Detroit Lions that's a heck of a lot of money to offer more so than the Packers guaranteed Nick Perry in their monster five-year deal so the Packers may benefit from some cap flexibility uh, not having to fit another one of these big contracts onto their books. 
Gary, I talked with a, a good friend of mine, a former football teammate, a guy who now coaches offensive lines uh, at a variety of levels. He works kind of as an offensive line guru, consultant type guy. And I asked him which position on the offensive line is the easiest to replace. And he said it, it, it varies on your offense, but as teams pass more and more, and since most quarterbacks tend to be right-handed, the least valuable position on the offensive line is right guard. Uh, he said that's not a knock against right guard. That's just a reality because generally they tend to get the most help from running backs. Most of the plays uh, feature a quarterback who is looking in their direction. So the quarterback can uh, move around anybody who gets past the right guard. And they generally get help either from a center or from the right tackle uh, on most of their blocks. That's not to say that Lang is easy to replace, but if you do have to replace a starter on the line, the right guard is somebody who you would consider among your, your first people that you would be willing to replace. Another name coming back to the Packers is outside linebacker Jaron Elliott. The special teamer and outside linebacker is back with the Packers on a $1.6 million deal. Packers declined to offer Elliott uh, the restricted free agent tender of $1.797 million. He wound up signing a contract relatively similar to the tender after taking a couple of visits. 2016, not a great year for Elliott. Missed seven games, including the wild card and divisional playoff games with a broken hand. Gary, any reason to hope Elliott is more than just a, a depth signing or a special teams guy? I sure think there is. And uh, now as the Packers have subsequently lost Dayton Jones to the Minnesota Vikings, if nothing else, Elliott is going to have to take some of the snaps. A positive note is that he recorded three and a half stuffs. And John, I don't know about you, but uh, Stuffs feels like the perfect name for a football statistic. And yeah, it, this was a new stat for me. It, it was for me, too. It includes tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage. And three and a half Stuffs for J. Ron Elliott is one more than Clay Matthews, one and a half more than Dayton Jones, and two and a half more than Julius Peppers had last season. So if nothing else, the Packers are starting to have the backbone of a really formidable run defense. Kenny Clark looked great in the uh, playoff run. J. Roan Elliott is valued more as a run defender than a pass rusher. And given Nick Perry's really great skills in that area, I think that the two of them could see the field more on running downs, um, especially now with Jones out of the fold. I, I agree with your assessment there. I don't really have a lot to add on J. Rowan Elliott. We know what he can do on special teams. Seems like a pretty good athlete. And uh, he was the Packers nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award this year. So pretty decent guy all around, too. We'll see what happens with him next season. Uh, the big domino falling today, Eddie Lacy signing with Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks signed Lacey to a one-year $5.55 million deal, about $3 million guaranteed. That's roughly equivalent to what the Packers offered James Starks uh, the last time around, except this one was a year shorter, and I'm not sure on the guaranteed money for Starks. I believe that one, uh, I believe Lacey's deal is a little bit richer. So the knock on Lacey is that he's one of the great recent examples of the uh, when healthy qualifier. You know, the things that you hear about players. He's a great runner when healthy. He can contribute pretty okay as a pass protector when healthy. He's a pretty good receiver out of the backfield when he's healthy. And for Eddie Lacy, that just hasn't been that often over the last couple of years. He was averaging 5.1 yards per carry with the Packers in the five games he, he did play this year. 
that's more or less in line with his career averages if you go back over his last 16 games prior to his injury last season. So Eddie Lacy, to me, Gary, seems to be at a bit of a career crossroads. He was pegged as a one-contract guy coming out of college, and people have always wondered how much he loves football, partly because Lacey says that he doesn't love football that much. Do you think he turns it around in Seattle? John, I might I might go on a limb here. I'm going to say that he's cut in training camp. Wow. I know. I, I That's just my gut feeling. I think if he isn't cut, his ceiling in Seattle is as a situational running back. In the post-Marshawn Lynch era, the Seahawks have been running back by committee, and that's partly because they just haven't found that one guy that they can rely on as they did with Marshawn Lynch. But Lacey's only under contract for one year, and you'll remember Christine Michael exited the Seahawks because of some character concerns and some inability to to follow the playbook. And Lacey, while, does, while he doesn't have those exact red flags, does have his own set of red flags that... If John Snyder and Pete Carroll fall out of favor with a Lacey, specifically around his weight, he's going to be out of town pretty quick. Just taking a look at their roster, Thomas Rawls, Alex Collins, both played significant time at running back and both have some of the same skill sets that Lacey provides. So cutting Lacey for the Seahawks would not lose a skill set as it would, say, if the Packers were to have had him on the roster and cut him. So uh, I'm stepping out here. I, I don't think he makes much of an impact next year. I tend to to think not uh, either, but for different reasons. As we've detailed voluminously over the, the course of the offseason so far, Eddie Lacy is a good player when he is healthy. Yes, there's that qualifier again. But he needs a particular sort of environment to thrive, and the Packers certainly don't offer that environment. They didn't because... Uh, for one, their offense isn't necessarily well suited to what Lacey does well, but for others, they just couldn't seem to get him motivated. If Seattle, which seems to attract a certain kind of personality, can't get him motivated between now and the start of training camp, Gary, you could be right, but I'm not sure Seattle is that great of a fit for what Lacey does well. Um, like we said, he needs a specific sort of offense to thrive. He needs uh, plays under center. He needs... Um, a lead blocker generally. If Seattle wants to play that way, that's fine. But signing Eddie Lacy and committing to play him on your football team means that you have to sort of play a certain way. Speaking of playing a certain way, that may actually be a reason that this next player is coming back to Green Bay in the first place. Gary will touch on that here in a second. But we're talking, of course, about Devon House. Uh, the Packers signing Devon House to a one-year deal today. The reality is that the Packers just don't have that many competent corners at all uh, at any level, not elite corners, not second-tier corners. Based on what we saw in 2015, they just they just need people. House is a person who can play cornerback. Uh, he was all but benched after a very disastrous start to his 2016 season last year. In fact, Gary, I believe I described it to you this way. If we're using a metaphor for the Jaguar secondary at the start of the season last year, it was a bit of a house fire because he was getting torched left and right. Yeah! Yeah. Oh, the, David Caruso, Miami. Slide your, slide your sunglasses on and everything. But Devon House, back with the Packers, seems to be playing in a system that he likes, that he's familiar with. What are your hopes for Devon House? Well, I think that the House signing is a good one if you can put it into perspective. 
don't count on Devon House to fix the problems in the secondary. This signing is all about depth, and if House is the same player or even relatively similar to what he was when he last played for the Packers, he'll be a decent, affordable addition to the secondary. Decent and affordable. Those are things that we can live with. Uh, The thing that I referred to, Gary, when I talked about a a change of scenery, uh, things changing, uh, resulting in House being released, that's something that he hinted at. And a couple of people have speculated about the, the Jaguars changed sort of how they use their cornerbacks at the start of last season. House is a big, long, lanky cornerback. And he's the he, he thrives on playing press man. In fact, he's very similar to a guy who used to wear number 31 as well, Al Harris. Long, sort of lanky player, thriving in that really physical man-to-man coverage. House was not allowed to do that much last season. And he got torched because of it. If he can get back to playing the the way he did before he left for Jacksonville, this will be an affordable depth signing for the Packers. Moving on to the last departure so far for the Packers, Dayton Jones signing late this afternoon, late Tuesday afternoon, that is, for a one-year deal with the Minnesota Vikings. One year worth $3.5 million. Could be worth up to $5 million, depending on incentives there. He will probably move back to his more natural position of defensive end, since the Vikings play a 4-3, and he had been switched to 3-4 outside linebacker with the Packers. My question to you, Gary, are the Packers going to regret this one? I think they will, and this is an odd signing to see Dayton Jones leave, because... The Packers sure benefited from giving Nick Perry a relatively mid-level contract for one year, and Perry rewarded them with a breakout season, and if you're Green Bay, to not do the same thing with Dayton Jones is surprising, and when this news broke, it, it, it left me a bit confused as to why the Packers would deviate from that plan. But uh, here we are, and... Um, we're uh, we're going to see what Dayton does with the Vikings. So you know that I am leery of advanced stats where people do not show their work. I always like to see the methodology behind the madness, but I think we can trust a stat from one of the people that you and I read pretty, pretty regularly, Bob McGinn. He tracks something that he calls pressures. So that's uh, hurries, that's sacks. Uh, I think all those things go together. Hurries, sacks, knockdowns, things like that. Um, the leader on the Packers 2016 defense was Nick Perry with 36 and a half pressures. Dayton Jones, though he only had one sack in 2016, was second among the rankings for Bob McGinn. He had 31 or 31 and a half pressures. He had a pretty good season pressuring the quarterback, getting to the quarterback. This is the sort of thing to me it seems like the Packers could have really used. Maybe not an every-down player, maybe not a guy who's going to be out there for 60 or 70 snaps a game, but he seems like he could have been useful and this wasn't that expensive of a contract. I don't know. This this seems like a bit of a bummer to me. So we have a lot of offseason left. We've got a, a couple months, almost, well, almost two months exactly till the draft. Um, not almost two months. It, it's... I don't know, eight weeks away, something like that. The point is, there's or a ways months, to go. Yeah, eight, eight I don't know. Weeks, two months. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Eight, eight weeks, two months, something like that. <laughs> point is, there's a there's a long way to go in the off season. We can still see some free agent signings. Obviously, the draft on the horizon. Yet, 
the Packers still have some needs to fill. And Gary, we put together a list. Uh, the list for me is four positions long. And this is the order that I have them in. Cornerback, outside linebacker, running back, and offensive line. Anything else you would throw on there? I think running back is too high on that list, John. I think that it's it's really easy to overreact to Eddie Lacy leaving. And if if Green Bay is to replace Eddie Lacy's production, I, I don't think they need to do it in the top end of the draft. I think they can get a guy in the fifth, sixth, seventh, even undrafted, that's going to be able to fill that position. I would rather invest the draft capital in the offensive line or even a wide receiver before I go running back. But Wow, even a receiver. Well, I, I, I can't completely disagree with that. And and if I'm if I'm saying this list, cornerback and outside linebacker on a scale of one to ten, those things are still like an eight or a nine that you absolutely have to get them. Yeah, there's a drop off after those two positions for sure. I right, think right. Anything after that is just splitting hairs. And the Packers absolutely have to go with those first two. And they still could go with a couple free agents that are out there, including a few that wouldn't favor or factor into that all important um compensatory pick formula that we're hearing so much about these days so let's look at a few of these names and see if uh, if there's anything that could be there in terms of what the Packers are doing first one off the board for me is Brandon Carr a cornerback he had played most recently with the Dallas Cowboys now he hasn't been great this, these past couple seasons but has a history of being being pretty decent at 30 years old that's a little bit older than the Packers tend to try to go but he seems relatively affordable. Spotrax got him on four years for $23 million for his market value. Gary, how does that one bite you? I've seen Brandon Carr play a lot just because Dallas plays on national TV so much. I'm not crazy about him, but if they do sign him, anybody can help. That's I where agree. I'm at with the secondary. Well, <laughs> Anybody? And another one along those same sort of lines is Ladarius Webb. He plays a little bit of corner. He plays a little bit of safety. Did a little bit of both most recently for the Baltimore Ravens. You're looking at about probably $4 million, maybe on a one-year sort of deal for Ladarius Webb. Much like Carr, is that sort of a, an anybody-could-help one, Gary? I think the Webb uh, signing would be a bit more intriguing to me just because of his versatility. I think he fills the slot that Micah Hyde kind of leaves for the Packers. But between Carr and, and Webb, they're out there for a reason. And they're past their athletic prime, and they shouldn't be counted upon to be starters in the league. If, if you're going to sign them, it's going to be for depth. I agree. I agree about both of those things. The next name on the list wouldn't be a depth signing. This would be we need a guy sort of signing. Dante Hightower, a linebacker for the New England Patriots. He's been making a few free agent visits recently. He's talked with the Patriots about returning, but he's also talked with the New York Jets and Pittsburgh Steelers. This guy would be expensive. Probably four years, about $41 million, according to our friends at Sport Track or Spot Track. He doesn't really have a defined position. He's sort of one of those guys that the Patriots always seem to have two or three of that you're not really sure what position he is. Is he a linebacker? Is he an outside linebacker? Is he an inside linebacker? Does he play a little bit of defensive line? Yes is accurate to all of those things, but if you use him right, he can be a very impactful player. This is a pipe dream, isn't it, Gary? It really is. I don't see him leaving the AFC, and I I don't. Don't hold your breath for Dante Hightower. I, I'm not holding my breath, but 
it would be fun. Don't hold your breath for any free agent signings. Holding <laughs> right. your breath is typically not a good thing to do. Just don't hold your breath in general if you don't have to. Unless I mean, you're underwater, no. then you're going to want then to. Then absolutely do hold your breath, please. Yes. Um, moving on the list of free agents here. This is one that we've actually addressed at thepowersweep.com. Connor Barwin, an outside linebacker, defensive end type for the Philadelphia Eagles. A little bit on the older side, uh, on the wrong side of 30. He's not super productive over his last couple of years, but he's also been playing out of his natural position. We wrote about him actually when he first came on the scene as a possible uh, trade target for the Green Bay Packers. Market value, probably in the one year, four to five million dollar range. I have come around on Connor Barwin. I would be interested in them taking a flyer. How do you feel? I'd be interested in it. I think he, along with guys like Chris Long, um, I don't want to just pick New England's free agents. Typically, they don't do very well after they leave New England. But I think they could use a guy in their 30s as a pass rusher who, uh, much like the Falcons did with uh, Dwight Freeney this past year, you really only reserve him for those pass rushing situations. Be good with it. Running back Latavius Murray from the Raiders has been connected to the Packers a couple different times. We wrote about him a while back, too. Big athletic guy, goes 6'2", about 218 pounds, can run like the wind in a straight line. The agility is a little bit of a question with him. Big athletic fast, pretty decent pass uh, blocker, receiver. He's going to be on the expensive side, maybe. Um, The running back market is a little bit hard to predict, and and he seems like he may end up a little bit on the, the shorter end of the stick now that the running back market has sort of cooled off a little bit. You interested? I'm interested. I think I like Latavius Murray more than Adrian Peterson or Jamal Charles, but that's a factor of of his age. Ultimately, I don't think the Packers are going to find a running back in free agency. I don't think so either, but this name came up in rumors today as well. We haven't really done a whole lot on Jamal Charles, and he hasn't done a lot on the field recently either. He's only played eight games over the last two seasons. Are you even interested in a guy who's on the wrong side of 30 and has a history of knee injuries? Sure. I I like Jamal Charles. He was fun to play with in Madden, but outside of that, I I don't know if he's got a a place on this team. I'd be... I'd be very hesitant to sign him this quickly into free agency. I think this is one where the Packers let it come to them. I agree. Just let this one kind of come your way. Let the market sort of sort itself out, and you'll see what's there at the end when you can kind of set your own price. We should ask this one last question, and I'm sorry that I I feel like I even have to ask this, but considering how vehemently I've been against this in the past, but Gary... Would the Packers actually draft a running back in the first round? So, realistically, who's going to be there when the Packers pick at number 29? I think you're looking at Tennessee's Alvin Kamara and Stanford's Christian McCaffrey. Those would be the two names where it would make sense for Green Bay to draft them at those positions. Kamara, we've covered before. I'm not crazy about him, John. You're not either. I think it's a pass for us from Kamara. McCaffrey, however, is an interesting tale. He's the son of Denver's Ed McCaffrey. Easy Ed McCaffrey. Remember Chris Berman in NFL primetime. I I don't know if McCaffrey is that much different than Ty Montgomery. They both went to Stanford. They overlapped for a year. And even head coach David Shaw of the Cardinals said that they're pretty similar players. So not sure if you draft an elite talent at running back that matches the skill set of a guy who 
is going to be your starting running back, but Packers have done weirder things in the past. Justin Harris. I mean, just that was the first name that came to my mind too. Man, I wanted Reggie Nelson so bad. But Justin Harrell. Anyway, I've let it go, clearly. Gary, <laughs> we're about to March Madness here. You know anything about storming the field while I've got you here? Oh, you know, I've always wanted to storm the field in a, fo- in a football basketball game, but I went to a Division three school, so I could just walk casually on the field after the game. Yeah, just to, to stroll out there, see what's going on. Yeah. Anything, anything that you know about in Packers history related to storming the field? <laughs> well, I do know that the last time the Packers stormed Lambeau Field was in the 80s, January 8th, 1983, to be specific. It was a strike-shortened season. The Packers defeated the then St. Louis Cardinals in a Super Bowl tournament game, 41-16, to and the fans went nuts and stormed the The fans field. going ballistic. That is a fantastic nugget. I love storming the, storming the court. Are you a storming the court? I don't know if you call them truthers. The people who have to weigh in on whether it was a legitimate court storming after every court storming? Uh, I, I think in, in my darkest hours, I can be. But uh, typically, I'm in favor of storming the court all of the time, even yeah, in losses. Pe- like, people should just... That would be great if people storm the court in a loss. We'd be like, <laughs> we're kind of irritated here. We probably yeah. shouldn't have lost that game. Anger or excitement, both emotions check out for me. Gary, I think that's about the show for us for this week. Where can the good people find us on the World Wide Web? You can find us on that World Wide Web at www.thepowersweep.com. If you're a social media user, I'd encourage you to browse over to Facebook or Twitter. We are at The Power Sweep in both locations. And if you're not, that's quite all right. You can send us a good old-fashioned electronic email. We are thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillavy, I am John Meerdink. We will see you right here next week on Blue 58. I